Well, it's a great joy and a pleasure to be able to share the second message in the series entitled Last Words. So this is Last Words 2. And um, yeah, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for how we can come and have a look at your word and view our lives as in a mirror and change and grow and become more mature. And we trust you to do just that in our lives, Holy Spirit. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you fill my heart, mind and mouth, I pray, with your words for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's get going. The context of this message, uh, I'm sure most of you are aware, is a series entitled Last Words. We're looking at the book of 2 Timothy, just a few pericopes from the book of 2 Timothy. I want to encourage you to go, go ahead and have a study of that book. Very rich, um, very powerful uh, pericopes in there, uh, passages in there for us to glean and learn from. And a couple of Sundays ago, we began to look at a few passages from this particular book. And just to give you a bit of context, I'm not going to go into all the context. I encourage you to listen to my first message entitled Last Words 1. But just to give you some context, I touched on the purpose of 1 Timothy as a backdrop to 2 Timothy. And it bears mentioning here, um, 1 Timothy was a personal letter written by Paul to encourage and instruct his spiritual son Timothy in, within the challenges that Timothy was facing and overseeing his church um, in Ephesus, overseeing the church that uh, Paul had left Timothy in charge of in Ephesus. Um, there were false teachers, doctrinal errors, they were the fruit of these teachings, and all these things needed to be addressed, and Timothy was a young minister, uh, maybe between 30, 30 to 35, and um, Paul really instructed and encouraged him in 1 Timothy, practically outlining some steps that Timothy needed to take in order to address the specific challenges he faced within that time and within that context. And he also encouraged Timothy to continue to teach sound doctrine and to lead an exemplary life. So Timothy was facing challenges. Paul wanted to give him some practical tips in 1 Timothy and encourage him to keep persevering in the face of challenges. And, and, and he did so. And then two to three years later, Paul wrote a second letter to Timothy. That's to Timothy. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And this time Paul wrote to Timothy from uh, prison um, and he was in terrible conditions in prison. He was cold. He was alone except for Luke. He was bound in chains. He was awaiting certain death and he knew he was going to die. And Paul desired to see T Timothy and, and Mark as well. Um, and he encouraged them to come quickly because he knew that his time was short and, and also to bring some of his personal effects with him. And it's, it's, it always it touches me when I think about this, but Paul had his own needs in prison. He was asking Timothy to bring personal effects, but his primary concern was for Timothy, his son, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to run his race and to finish the task that, God, that Paul had given him and that God had given to Timothy. He wanted to encourage him in that to persevere in difficulties. His Paul's main concern and burden on his heart was for the church in Ephesus and was for the safeguarding of the gospel. In the midst of his own difficulties and imminent death, those were the things primarily on his heart. And um, so in that way, it was written as a final 
uh, recorded will, his last uh, words and instructions for his spiritual son. So it's quite, that's why we've entitled it Last Words, because 2 Timothy is the last known letter of Paul to his spiritual son before he was martyred. And so that is the context within which we find this particular passage. Now the first passage or the first pericope that we looked at a few Sundays ago was 2 Timothy 2 verse 1 to 13. And I want to encourage you to go and have a look at that uh, particular passage um, and be strengthened and encouraged by that. Paul exhorted his spiritual son Timothy to persevere in the face of suffering and remain faithful in the ministry. And all of us have situations and circumstances that we need to persevere in, that we need to continue and be faithful in. So the principles contained therein can be applied to our own lives. And Paul used various forms of imagery to depict the qualities that his spiritual son would need to persevere in the face of suffering and difficulty. And he, and, and he um, included these as he encouraged Timothy. And so he mentioned that uh, being that of an enduring soldier, a self-disciplined athlete, and a hardworking farmer. And there were qualities from all of these that Paul wanted Timothy to apply to his life. Um, and he also reminded Timothy of the focus of the gospel and the example of endurance that Jesus was as well as Paul was. So he's saying, hey, look at Jesus, look at myself, we've endured. And um, Paul outlined the goal of suffering from his perspective and reminded Timothy that there would be a sure reward for persevering and being faithful. And so that's really, that's really powerful in terms of encouraging us in our race of life. All of us are in a particular race, we're in a particular lane. All of us have something that God has placed us in, has called us to. And so we need to be faithful and persevere in those things. Come on, to see a manifestation of the, of the, of the word that God has spoken of our lives, of the passion and the desire that God has placed into us. Each one of us are going to face difficulties. Each one of us are going to have to overcome some challenges. So all of us need to take note of these types of of messages. So yes, go and listen to that message. It will strengthen and encourage and it will also challenge you. Okay, now the pericope we're going to look at today um, or we're going to begin looking at today because we're only going to look at the first portion of it and we'll complete it on another Sunday um, is 2 Timothy 3 verse 10 to 17. 2 Timothy 3 verse 10 to 17. So let me go ahead and read it to you. Remember, we're just going to look at the first portion today, and then we'll finish off on another Sunday. I'm going to read it in two translations. Remember, I mentioned it's always great to read your particular uh, portion of Scripture that you're studying. It's always great to read it in about five different translations to get an understanding of what could have been meant, because a lot of these translators uh, translate slightly differently. Um, it's good to read in at least two literal translations and then a few others which are more loose translations. So I'm going to read it in the NKJV and the NLT. So let's get going. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, and afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, 
and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the New King James Version. And now the New Living Translation. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and impostors will flourish. They will deceive others and they will and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. And you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. 2 Timothy 3 verse 10 to 17. So in this particular pericope, Paul was writing to Timothy, his spiritual son, to encourage him to persevere in the face of opposition, persecution, and sufferings for the sake of the gospel. And he gave Timothy two sources of strength and wisdom to persevere in the face of such opposition. So before this particular pericope, Paul had concluded the previous one, speaking concerning the folly of false teachers. So he's just spoken about the foolishness of false teachers and he begins this pericope by addressing Timothy specifically as separate from those false teachers. So it's within that context we find this particular passage and he says, but you, Timothy, so he's comparing him to these false teachers. So he says, but you in verse 10 and then again in verse 14 he says, but you. And so both addresses to Timothy um, in these cases are comparison uh, to, of Timothy to the false teachers and they mark the beginning of a new source of strength and wisdom for Timothy to look to as he perseveres in the face of such opposition. So there are two sources that we find there, the one in verse 10, but you Timothy, and the second one from verse 14, but you Timothy, as compared to the false teachers. And from the structure of this pericope, we see that the first source of strength and wisdom that Paul presents to his son Timothy is Paul himself and nine aspects of his life that Timothy was to emulate. So Paul mentions his doctrine, that's his teaching, his way of life, his purpose, his faith, his long-suffering, his love, his perseverance, and the enduring of persecutions and afflictions as well as deliverance by the Lord. Um, so that is the first source of wisdom that Paul presents 
to Timothy, he says, emulate me in all these nine aspects of my life. And the second source of strength and wisdom that Paul presents to his son Timothy is, is basically um, Timothy remaining in the scriptures. So he, there's a bit more that he says about that, but Timothy remaining in the scripture. So today what we're going to look at is that first source of strength and wisdom, which is the nine aspects of Paul's life that he wanted his spiritual son Timothy to look to and to continue to emulate and find strength and wisdom in life as he did that. Um, we will look at the second source of strength and wisdom on another particular Sunday. So, Timothy was to remember the role model that Paul was. He was to focus in on specific areas of Paul's life. And we're going to look at these areas now. But before we begin to do that, I want to ask you to bear in mind a couple of questions as we explore these. I want to ask you, you know, Paul said to Timothy, emulate me. Okay, look to me. I want to ask you, who are your role models? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he said, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. You know, who are you imitating? Who are you looking to in the various areas of your life, in your various areas of strength, of gifting, of calling? It's important that we have those role models that we can look to. And um, what are the primary areas that you look for role models in? And are your role models exemplary in um, character? That's really important. And the, another question that I'm wanting to ask you is, are you being and becoming the role model that you want to be in all areas of your life? Because people are looking up to us. They're always people in, in any, uh, any um, particular season of life. There'll always be people that are looking up to us for one reason of, or another. And are you being and becoming the role model that you want to be in all areas of life that some that some people can emulate you, that you would feel happy with people emulating you in areas of your life. Now, Paul specified the areas that he wanted Timothy specifically to emulate him in. And the first one was in teaching. Um, obviously, Timothy was facing false teachers in the church, and so Paul wanted him, his doctrine to be solid, his doctrine. He didn't want Timothy to take on any of this, um, these deceptive teachings which were which were making their rounds in the church um, 1 Timothy 4 verse 6 if you instruct the brethren in these things you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed so doctrine is important teaching is important what we feed on in terms of teaching in terms of the word of god in terms of um, what we what we are taking in and also what we share with others these things are important because we can be nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, and we can also be malnourished. So we can be nourished in the words of faith, and we can take them in and then not follow them, because here in 1 Timothy 4 verse 6, it says, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. So we need to take in 
and um, consume good doctrine, good teaching, and then we need to apply it in our lives and follow it, okay? So what are you feeding yourself on in terms of learning, in terms of teachings? Are you feeding yourself? What are you teaching or imparting to those who look up to you, to your children, to those who work with you, to your friends, to your colleagues, to those in your ministry department? And sometimes it's not uh, you're sitting them down and actually teaching them. Sometimes it's living it out. Sometimes it's responding in a certain way um, when situations present themselves and then having those around us learn from our behavior, learn from our responses. And, and also I think it's about being intentional. It's about saying, Lord, present me with opportunities where I can, whether it's with our children, whether it's with um, disciples around us, those in our small groups, in our church context, in our church departments, whatever it may be. But being careful to continually feed ourselves with that which God wants us to feed on and to follow it and to share it with others. So what are you feeding on? Teaching. The first thing was teaching. The second thing that Paul wanted Timothy to emulate him in was conduct, was his conduct. And um, the Greek word here that is used when he says conduct, it actually means the manner of leading and spending life or the mode of living. It's referring to Paul's whole life, not just his public life, not just his life seen by the church, not just how he was in church uh, meetings. It's his whole life. And so our whole lives need to be able to be emulated. We need to live our whole lives in such a way that they can be emulated. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, it says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. By the way, that word conduct there, it's the same word as we're looking at today in our pericope. So be an example to believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So that's all of life. Okay, Philippians 1 verse 27 says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let your conduct be worthy. I want to ask you, is your conduct worthy of the gospel of Christ? Is your conduct worthy in in your homes, with your families, in the secret place, when you are seeing friends possibly who don't go to church, who aren't believers or people you train with, is your conduct still worthy of the gospel of Christ? Or do you change like a chameleon when you're with these friends or when you're with those people and they're drinking, do you follow suit and drink too much? When you are with those people, do you, like a chameleon, do you change? You know, do you throw in a few expletives just to fit in? Do you laugh at crude jokes just, just to fit in? Or is your conduct worthy of the gospel of Christ? In your bedroom, when you are having an altercation with your spouse, is your conduct still worthy of the gospel of Christ? In the secret place, in the hidden place, when you're doing your business dealings, is your conduct still worthy? At work, is your conduct still worthy of the gospel of Christ. When you're at school, when you're with your friends, when you do writing exams, are you still integrous? Is your conduct worthy of the gospel of Christ? If I said to you, can you think of someone you admire and respect in the Lord 
And when you're doing what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, all alone, would you be happy for them to view you? Would you be happy for them to be watching over your shoulder? You see, the Holy Spirit is always with us. And we need to live in such a way that we are endeavoring to live to please Him. All our conduct. You know, people are watching. The Lord is watching. You know, I never want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I, I'm a human. I'm a person. But I, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I never want to be deceptive or arrogant or underhanded or have any attitude or any hidden sin or harbor anything that will poison my relationship with Him. You know, I want to traffic in, in truth. I want to have truth in my innermost being. And when I've got something to say to you, when you've hurt me, when there's something not right and I'm carried in my heart, I would much rather tell you, you know. And if I think something, I would much rather tell you than harbor it. I would much rather give you feedback and then you have an opportunity to respond and I can get it off my chest. So this, my relationship with God remains clear. There's nothing harbored. There's no bitterness or offense, you know. Um, and in the same way, I hope you would permit me the same courtesy, you know, if you have something, if you're carrying something against me, just clear it, at least do it in kindness, do it in truth, do it, you know, in humility, but at least keep your relationship with God, you know, clear and keep this relationship clear. Let's traffic in truth. Let's live in holiness. Let's live in love. Let's live as before the Lord. I think that's a place of maturity for all of us. Okay, so our conduct, our conduct. Listen to this from Acts 20, verse 17 to 25. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Powerful, powerful. So focused on finishing his race. So focused on finishing his race. And I love how he says, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. His conduct was evident to all. He remained the same in his conduct. He wasn't a chameleon. He didn't change. He continued what he said he did. He, he preached the gospel. His conduct was worthy of the gospel. Um, listen to this from James. This is now James speaking. James 3 verse 13 to 17. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have better envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. 
For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct. If you're wise and understanding, your conduct will show this. You see, because wisdom is judged by a fruit. Wisdom is judged by a fruit. Do you realize that your conduct is important for those who are modeling you? Yes, it's important for that. Yes, and for the testimony of the gospel. Yes, but it also reveals something about you. It reveals something about me. My conduct, your conduct reveals what level of wisdom we are actually operating at. I want to say that again. My conduct and your conduct, how we live our lives, it reveals what level of wisdom we are operating at. Wisdom from above is God. We see wisdom from above in godly conduct. Okay. And encourage us in our conduct, just like Paul encouraged Timothy to emulate his conduct. So we too need to emulate his conduct. We need to be, have great, have good, godly, solid conduct. Okay. The third area that Paul invited and asked and instructed Timothy to emulate was his purpose. Paul lived a purposeful life. He ran his race purposefully. He knew what he was on this earth for and he had this single vision and he ran it even when there were obstacles, difficulties, when he had to suffer for it, when there were persecutions. He didn't say, okay, I'm jumping ship. This good news thing, this gospel thing, this Jesus thing is now too difficult. I'm jumping ship. He didn't do that. He continued and persevered. And in actual fact, he persevered right into death and martyrdom itself. So he was faithful to live out the purpose that God had given him. And the Greek word for purpose here means setting forth. It means proposal, intention, purpose. Paul was intentional. Paul was purposeful. And he wanted Timothy to live in the same way. And we too need to live in the same way, a purposeful life, making purposeful decisions, not tossed to and fro by whatever comes, by whatever is easy, by the ebb and flow of life, but living purposefully. And I love this 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 to 27. Paul says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I should become disqualified. You know, each one of us have a race to run on this earth. Each one of us have a lane to run in. And it's time for the church to grow up. It's time for all of us to mature. It's time to get beyond, you know, tripping over our own feet because we're so busy envying somebody else's lane or somebody else's race or we're copying. We want to be in that race. We want to run in that lane. We want to be over there. We, we don't want to be here. Just We need to just be faithful. God has placed us where we're at. We need to stand up. 
be faithful and run the race that God has given each one of us. You see, when everybody in the body of Christ runs their own race and is faithful to finish their own race, that's when the body of Christ becomes effective. God placed each one of us in the places where we at. God gave us the gifts that he gave us for a reason for his body. When we're just faithful where God has placed us, that's when every the whole body is effective. We don't have to try and have the ministry like that person, a business like that person. You know, unless God has put that person in our lives for us to emulate, you know. But this whole thing of comparing and comparison and envy, we need to just get over that and get on with what God has given us to do and run our own race. And Paul was intentional with his life. He was intentional with what God had given him to do. He lived according to God's purpose and he, propo- and he purposed to do so. And a, a, a love, a, 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 an awesome example of this being purposeful, being intentional, is from Mark 1, verse 35 to 39, and it's Jesus. And it says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. <laughs> I love the scripture. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. You know, come, everybody needs you. Yeah, they need you. Come, you know. And Jesus, you know what he said to them? He said, we're going into the next towns that I may preach there because for this purpose I have come forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout Galilee and cast out their demons. You know, sometimes as a mom, you can feel like this, especially with, with, with small children. They all need you right now. They're following you, you know. But it feels like that in life, there's this need and there's this need. And, you know, people, I remember there was a season where people contacted us and they're they're these people, you know, who need help. They squatters, right? And your church is the closest church. And, you know, often people will come, there's this need, there's this need, there's this need. We can't be needs driven. We can't, we have to go with the vision and the purpose that God has given us. And these things are important, you know, especially if God is using these needs around us to lead us. But at the end of the day, if we try meet everybody's needs around us there'll be nothing of us left and we'll never run the race and complete the purpose that God has given us to do so Jesus didn't stay and minister to all those people who were looking for him he said no for this purpose I've come we're going into that town he was purpose-driven you know I remember a number of years ago there was a particular a gentleman and he basically was saying he doesn't know that this whole purpose and planning thing is in the Bible And I was completely shocked when he said that, completely shocked. He doesn't know that this whole purpose and um, planning and, you know, he's not so sure that it's in the Bible. No, God is very intentional. God gave each one of us a purpose. God purposed in the beginning to create the world and did so. God gave us purpose. It says in Psalm 139 that he's already written each day of our life in his book. He's already prepared works for us in Ephesians. He's already prepared works for us that we should walk in them. No, God is very intentional. God is very purposeful. And we also need to be purposeful and intentional. Jesus was intentional and purposeful. I want to just challenge us personally right now. What do, what do you purpose in your heart? What have you purposed? Like there's, there's our purpose that we have that we need to be intentional to pursue. But there are other things we need to be purposeful about as well. What do you purpose in your heart? 
You know, I've, I've noticed in my life that if I, need, if I want to accomplish something, I need to first purpose in my heart to do it. And it's the same with following Christ and his purpose for us. Like Paul purposed in his heart to run his race. And yet there are other smaller things that we need to purpose in our hearts regarding our lifestyle, regarding who we are, regarding who we're becoming, regarding what we'll do and what we won't do, regarding how we'll be and how we won't be, regarding what we'll say and what we won't say, regarding what we'll take in and what we won't take in, what environment we'll allow ourselves to be a part of and what environment we won't allow ourselves to be a part of. And these things are also important. We need to purpose in our hearts beforehand. Where are these hands going to go? Where are they not going to go? What are they not going to do? Where are these feet going to take me? And where are they not going to take me? What am I going to put in this mouth? And what am I not going to put in this mouth? What am I going to allow out of this mouth? And what am I not? These are also things that are linked to purposing. We need to purpose in our hearts and be intentional regarding our conduct in life. Uh, Psalm 17 verse 3, listen to what the psalmist says, you have tested my heart, you have visited me in the night, you have tried me and found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. He purposed that his mouth would not transgress. transgress. Listen to this of Daniel as well. Daniel 1 verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He purposed in his heart and then he fulfilled it. You know, I remember uh, when I was... Uh, just out of university and I was in that particular environment. I was stooging in Kingswood in Grahamstown. And at that particular time, the, the culture amongst the other stooges, there was, a lot of them were still university students, that type of lifestyle of uh, excessive drinking. And um, I just felt this conviction. I just knew in my heart that the Lord wanted me to not touch, to not drink, partake any alcohol. And and I did that and it was very difficult because I was young, I was a young Christian, I was impressionable and I received a lot of mocking, like people would mock me because I wouldn't partake of alcohol in social settings and at that it was very hard for me, it was hard for me um, but you know what, I purposed in my heart because that is what I felt God wanted me to do, to, to be separate from, to be distinct from this culture that was excessive in their alcohol consumption. Now, I'm not saying that you have to not drink alcohol, but I'm saying that for me, that was the conviction of my heart, that I, I purposed in my heart not to partake, to be separate from that particular culture and not to defile myself by being included in that particular culture. And in life, there's seasons in life where we need to purpose in our hearts around certain things. Um, there, there's the ho our whole lives where we need to purpose to not defile ourselves with certain things. For instance, things we'll say and um, conversations we won't be a part of but we all need to just take a step back if you haven't already and and think what do I need to purpose to do differently in my life what do I what do I need to be intentional concerning you know and also what what purpose in my life can people emulate am I being a good example am I salty am I being salt and light 
Okay, purpose. That was the third thing that Paul wanted Timothy to emulate. The fourth thing that Paul wanted Timothy to emulate was his faith. His faith. And the particular Greek word, it means the conviction of the truth of something. It's conviction or belief with respect to man's relationship to God. Um, it's the conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestow of eternal salvation through Christ Jesus. Um, strong conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. Um, belief with the predominant idea of trust or confidence in God springing from faith. So it encompasses all of that. So it's gospel, it's belief in, it's trust in, it's that faith. Um, an example, great example of, of Paul's faith made manifest. We can see in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 4 to 10, he says, But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Paul needed faith to continue to pursue the race that was set before him, even through all of those challenges and difficulties. Paul had faith. We need faith to continue in the midst of persecutions and sufferings and challenges, even as we're seeking to run the race that God has given us. There, and there are those things that arise, those speed bumps, those difficulties. We need faith to continue to pursue, just like Paul uh, gave an example in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 4 to 10. And he mentions in, uh, and sorry, Hebrews 12 verse 1 to 3 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You see, faith helps us to endure when it's difficult and it will get difficult. If we're walking with God, things do get difficult. That's just the reality. And we will need faith to endure. And sometimes, you know, we need to ask God for the grace to endure. In what areas do you need to ask God for the grace to endure? Just a small, very small example of this. Personally, I've struggled to complete my distance swimming sets on the weekend. I do them on Sundays in the afternoon after church. Not a great time to go and do a long set in the swimming pool by myself. And I've struggled recently over the past, you know, number of months to complete my swim distance sets. And I've got a I, I need to start doing them. I need to start finishing them. And so on Sunday, I just said, Lord, you know what? Today, please, would you grant me the grace to endure and to complete 
my distance swim set and you know what there was grace to endure and I finished it for the first time in a number of months and so when we ask God for the grace to endure he gives it to us he gives it to us in our weakness his strength can be made manifest and can be you know can operate um so in what areas have you struggled to endure because your faith has grown weak? In what areas have you entertained unbelief or discouragement? I want to encourage you to go before God and to ask Him for grace to endure and to really ask Him to help to stir up that faith. Ask Him to help you stir up that faith in your heart and to get stuck into the Word because faith comes by hearing the Word and, um, and to just to trust Him that that faith will, will rise and you'll be able to persevere and endure through the challenges that are set before you in this season and the seasons to come in your life. Okay, the next, the, the fifth particular um, quality that Paul wanted Timothy to emulate is patience. Patience, you know. Um, in Paul's case, he was very long-suffering and patient with those who opposed his teachings. Paul was patient. And it is with faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. Faith and patience. Why? Because they don't just come like that. It doesn't just happen like that. You get a word today, boom, 24-hour miracle. Tomorrow you have, you have the fulfillment of that word. I've got news for you. It's not going to happen like that. Between when you get the word and when you see the manifestation of the word, there's going to be a lot of difficulty. There are going to be a lot of challenges and God is going to use those challenges to fashion you and shape you and help you so that when you're walking in manifestation of the word, you have the character to sustain it. You have the faith to continue walking in that. So, it is with faith and with patience that we inherit the promises of God. And Paul wanted Timothy to emulate his patience in the Lord. In Hebrews 6 verse 10 to 12, it says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him. And how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others if life lasts, to make certain that you, what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Because of their faith and endurance. In walking with God, we will need faith and we will need endurance. You will need to endure. You will need to continue to endure. It will get difficult. And that is why we need to dig into the word because it's these types of messages that strengthen us and encourage us to stand and keep standing even through difficulties, even through when uh, seasons are difficult. Hebrews 6 verse 12 says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Newsflash, we're going to need faith and we're going to need patience to inherit God's promises. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 2 to 3, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, 
our God and Father. And patience of hope. I love that phrase, patience of hope. Is your hope patient? You know, hope is such a powerful thing. I experienced that the other day. Just suddenly having a, a fresh hope in my heart for something. And I thought, sure, hope is such a powerful quality. It's such a powerful thing to have in our hearts. Is your hope patient? Powerful question. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 4 to 5. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience and tribulations and needs and distresses in stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and sleeplessness and fastings. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 13. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. Paul was encouraging Timothy in terms of patience. Patience. I want to encourage us today in terms of patience, having patience, patience to wait on God, patience to continue standing when it's difficult, patience as we wait for the fulfillment and the manifestation of the promises of God in our lives. And the sixth quality that Paul wanted Timothy to emulate was that of love, his love, divine love motivating his life. You know, if I look at Paul and I study him, he wasn't this, you wouldn't say, ooh, he was this loving person in terms of how we think of love necessarily in the church today. He was loving and that he laid down his life because that is biblical love. He was loving and that he spoke truth even when he was, when he received persecution for it. That is loving saying the truth in love, living a life, laying down one's life for others, being motivated by heavenly mandate versus man-pleasing. That is the type of God love that Paul wanted Timothy to emulate. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 2 verse 10. So This is Paul speaking. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. It's like I am willing to endure anything. And he did. He was martyred for this. I am willing to endure anything if I can bring salvation to these people. Powerful. That is, that is God kind of love. That is God kind of love. John 15 verse 10 to 14. This is Jesus speaking and he says, When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Salah. Think of that. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. So people can't say, I love you, Lord. And then they, they choose to omit portions of the Bible because it offends their personal preferences. You can't love the Lord. You can't abide and remain in the love of the Lord if you're walking in distinct disobedience to his revealed word. You can't do that. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. You can't say preaching what the word, what the Bible says is an unloving thing to do. It's un well, maybe it's un-PC for you. It's non-politically correct in your life. But God, Jesus says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Then he says, I've told you these things that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. God is not a party pooper. He tells us things because he wants us to live in wisdom. He wants our conduct 
to um, be have godly wisdom, you know, that wisdom that is from above. Remember, we spoke earlier about um, wisdom is judged by her fruit. He wants our joy to be full. He wants us to live full lives. He's not a party pooper. And he says, if you obey my commands, you will be filled with my joy. Your joy will overflow. You'll live in my love. You'll abide. You'll remain in my love. And then he says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Sure. I don't need to say anything more about that. Paul also laid down his life for those who he wanted to come to know the gospel. You know, love are you trafficking in love? Are you trafficking in truth? Are you speaking the truth in love? Are you living from uh, what God wants you to do, what God wants you to say versus in reaction to other people and the culture around you? The seventh quality that Paul wanted Timothy to emulate was steadfastness, macrothumia. This particular Word, it means patience, endurance, constancy, perseverance, forbearance, long-suffering, slowness, slowness in avenging wrongs. And it implies self-restraint before proceeding to action. It's the quality of a person who can avenge himself yet refrains from doing so. Macrothumia is patience in respect to persons while enduring and putting up with things or circumstances. Steadfastness and endurance are often found together okay in the bible and this word macrothumia steadfastness is associated with mercy and it's used of god so not god is not asking us to be something that he is not himself in romans 2 verse 4 it says or do you despise the riches of his goodness forbearance and long suffering not knowing that the goodness of god leads you to repentance romans 2 Verse 4 in the NLT says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Beautiful. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 4, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses. Paul had patience in suffering for his teachings. Paul had patience to continue. He was long-suffering. He was forbearing. Ephesians 4 verse 1 to 2, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Galatians 5, 22 to 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against these there is no law. Forbearing, steadfast. We need to emulate Paul and emulate Jesus and walk in the fruit of the Spirit in terms of this particular quality. And the last two um, qualities really it's one that um, Paul wanted Timothy to emulate was in persecutions and deliverances so I've put those two together persecutions and deliverances and then he gives a few examples and there were many more but he gives a few examples which we're just going to touch on today um, most of these particular persecutions and afflictions came about in Paul's life because he was living in obedience to the Lord why do we think when we live in obedience to the Lord, we're not going to face difficulties and challenges? 
In the Bible, so many examples of people who walked in obedience to the Lord and faced extreme challenges and difficulties. So Paul's persecutions and afflictions came about because he was living in obedience to the Lord, teaching what he'd been given by the Lord to teach. And Paul mentions three specific places in which he endured persecutions. He mentions Antioch, he mentions Iconium, and he mentions Lystra. And we're just going to quickly touch on these just to give us some context. In Antioch, he, uh, it's, it's mentioned in Acts 13 from verse 14 to 52. You can go and have a look at that if you would like. But the message that Paul and Barnabas preached was well received in Antioch and the word of the Lord spread throughout that region. However, some of the Jews were envious <laughs> of the large crowds and um, that were following Paul and listening to Paul and Barnabas and they caused prominent men and women in the city to rise up and to um, uh, stir up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And they did this to such an extent that Paul and Barnabas had to leave. So they left Antioch and they went to Iconium. And we find them in Iconium in Acts 14 verse 1 to 6. And they continue preaching and teaching the word, the gospel, the word that God has given them to do so. And many Jews and Greeks believe them, believe Paul's message. But once again, some unbelieving Jews, they stir up resistance against Paul and Barnabas. Um, eventually trying to stone them, to kill them. So Paul and Barnabas leave. They fled Iconium and they went to Lystra. We find them in Lystra in Acts 14, verse 6 to 19. And they're in Lystra and they healed a, a crippled man and they were very well received. But then at a certain point, the Jews from Antioch and from Iconium followed them to Lystra. We see this in Acts 14, 6 to 19. And they convinced the multitudes to stone Paul. And they did stone him and they left him for dead on the outskirts of the city. Um, but when the disciples gathered around him, when we read in the Bible, it just says that he rose, he arose and went back into the city. So whether, you know, you don't know what happened. He was stoned. He was left for dead. The disciples gathered around him. And after they prayed for him, they must have prayed for him. I imagine he arose and went back into the city and he left. Obviously he left and he went to Dob with Barnabas the next day. And some theologians note that Paul, Paul used these specific examples to urge Timothy to be resolute in the face of opposition. And they also note that Timothy would not have personally witnessed the persecution in Antioch and Iconium necessarily, but he may have witnessed it in Lystra because Lystra was Timothy's hometown. So he may have been privy to the particular persecutions. But Paul concludes this thought with the matter-of-fact statement that all who live in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And he, so, so Paul has the expectation that godly people in Christ can expect to suffer, suffer persecution um, whilst the evil will get worse. But it's interesting how all of those three particular examples that Paul gives Timothy, he suffered persecution, but the Lord delivered him. So the Lord delivered, them out of them, delivered him out of them all. But at the end of his life, he wasn't delivered from being martyred. Okay, but he completed and he ran his race. And while he was running his race, the Lord delivered him out of all of these particular persecutions and sufferings. Um, 
In 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 to 13 says, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. So there's no surprise for us today when we find ourselves in a situation where it seems like those who are doing evil are proliferating and being successful and prospering in the things that they are doing whilst we are suffering and facing persecution and challenges and difficulty. It shouldn't surprise us. It happened to Paul and he wanted to encourage his son and we can draw encouragement from that, that yes, we, Paul already instructs us that yes, that is going to happen. Evil will, imposters will, will flourish. These things will increase, but the bad will get worse. Um, but, at, but at the same time, encourage us to run our race, to be faithful. And um, just like Paul desired to strengthen Timothy in his ability to endure persecutions and opposition, he, I want, I'm wanting us to do the same thing. I'm wanting us to continue doing good, to continue to endure. I'm wanting to encourage us regarding that, strengthen us regarding that, no matter what opposition and persecutions we may face. Remember, Paul drew Timothy's attention to two sources of strength and wisdom to assist Timothy in this. And we looked at the first source of strength and wisdom today, which is Paul's life and Paul's teaching and how he persevered. And remember, Paul cites three examples, three challenging situations, and the Lord delivered him out of them all. The Lord delivered him from all three situations. They were unfair situations, unjust situations, but the Lord delivered him. And um, yeah, so wanting to encourage us, take a look at our lives, take a look at our role models, take a look at Paul as role model with these particular eight or nine qualities and Say, Lord, strengthen me and encourage me where I find myself. And we will look at the second source of strength in a message that is yet to come. So let's bow our heads. I want to pray for us. Father, we thank you for the richness of your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for how you strengthen us with your word, how you take a letter that was written so many years ago and you take it and you, you help us to personalize it for our current situations. So we pray for your church, Lord. I pray for your church that you will strengthen her. You will encourage her. You will help her to live an exemplary life. You will help her to persevere in the face of difficulties, of challenges, Lord God. You will help her to remain faithful to the word that you've given her. You will help us, Lord God, to be um, exemplary role models and to have exemplary role models. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today.